All right. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Lovely to see you all. Thank you for um, coming out. Sorry, Gareth. Thank you. Thank you for coming out this morning, even though it is frick cold outside. But I did see someone. I'm not going to mention who in shorts and pluckies. Um, they, they know who they are. Um, <laughs> um, I'm privileged this morning to uh, speak about um, a topic that I feel quite important for us, and I feel quite important for Christians in general. The title of my sermon is Love Jesus and Make Him Known. This morning I'm going to be looking at Revelations 2, verse 1 to 7, John's letter to the church in Ephesus. But before we start, let's close our eyes in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this uh, wonderful morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come and experience your presence. Lord, this morning we're not here for a nice message or to sing songs or to drink coffee, Lord, but we're here for an encounter with you, Lord. And I pray that uh, as we sit here, Lord, that that would be the primary focus, Lord, that our hearts, Lord, would be positioned in a place, Lord, that says we are here for you and you alone, Lord. All the other things, Lord, point to that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would never make anything else the main thing, but that we would keep you on that pedestal, Lord. We invite you in, Holy Spirit. Pray that you'd speak to us today and that we'd walk out of this uh, venue unchanged. May the words I say, Lord, and the way we receive them be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, cool. So um, this morning, what we're going to do is we will be looking at the text, Revelations 2, verse 1 to 7. We'll be reading through it once. I'll go through it a second time, highlighting um, where there is sort of explanations needed. I'll spend a bit of time explaining those things, and then I will chat on the parts of the letter that are emphasized and what they mean for us. After that, we're going to go into application, and a short conclusion will follow. All right, fantastic. So, without further ado, let's read Revelations 2, verse 1 to 7, out of the NIV. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is then the paradise of God. So we're going to start off at the beginning of the passage, and we see that this, church, this letter is written to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So for practical purposes, I'm not going to unpack that word angel but what this letter is, it's a letter written with a purpose of being read by that church. Right? So the audience in this letter is the church. For the practical purposes of this sermon, that is what we need to know. What we need to just bear in mind, something that stands out for us as we start this letter as well, is that Jesus describes himself as the one who walks among the seven lampstands. So this letter is Jesus speaking directly to the church, and John on the island of Patmos writing that letter down. So Jesus is speaking to the church, and he's saying to them, specifically, I walk among you. The seven golden lampstands 
represent the seven churches to whom letters are being written to. So it's important to realize that, and it's important to notice that if we look at the other letters, that we don't specifically see lampstands mentioned. All right, we're going to get to that in a second, but just bear that in mind. We see this church as a church that does a lot of good. They are hardworking, they're persevering, they do not grow weary, they test apostles, they clearly know the Word of God. In addition, they hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Right, so the Nicolaitans were a Christian sect who took pagan and just sort of very uh, uh, sinful practices and mixed that in with Christianity. They hate those things. Their teaching is good. And if we recall, and if we look at the context, we see that this church is based in Ephesus, where you have a lot of idolatry. So the fact that they've stood firm is to be commended. This church is doing a lot that is good. For the purposes of this sermon, I'm not going to focus on the good this church is doing because that's not where the emphasis lies. But I want us to understand that if we look at the other letters that are written to the other churches that do tolerate practices of the Nicolaitans, God feels very strongly against that. So the fact that I'm not going to be focusing on it today, the fact that I'm not going to be focusing on living a Christian life of compromise doesn't mean that it's not important. It means in the context of the Ephesians, it's not the most important thing for them. Right, so what is the most important thing for them? Jesus says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. What Jesus is basically saying is, you don't love me anymore. It's hard, it's heavy, but it's quite clear. And then he gives them an instruction. He says, repent. Consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. The last thing I want to highlight is the fact uh, that Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the church says, what the Spirit says to the churches. Which means that this letter was primarily written to the Ephesians, primarily written to the church in Ephesus, but it was written for us as well, right? Jesus wants us to know today what he was saying to them, and it's meaningful for us in our context in Common Ground, Durbanville. What does it mean, and how do we interpret when Jesus says, you've stopped loving me? And in the context of the Ephesians, when Jesus says, do the things you did at first, what is he telling them? If we look at the beginning of the letter, we mentioned the golden lampstands. Right, now, that gives us a clue that's a metaphor for something. If we look in the gospel and we look at where that metaphor is used, we see it used in Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. I'm going to ask you to go there if you've got your Bibles with you. This won't be up on the screen. Out of the NIV, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so we see that imagery used in the context where we act as witnesses for Jesus, right? We just see that it's just, it's not enough 
just to say that the things that they should do, they should love Jesus, and the things that they should do is witness. That, that imagery is maybe not enough, right? We just see it flagged. But if we look at the context of the Ephesian church, and we've got that in Acts chapter 19. Once again, I'm going to ask you if you've got your Bibles to go with me. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, we see what happens in the church when Paul arrives at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 to 10 out of the NIV. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. They replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left, left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. We see right at the beginning of the establishment of the church in Ephesus, their primary focus was witnessing to the region. That, as well as the imagery we see in the letter, right, allows us to conclusively say that when Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first, he's saying to the church, love me like you did at first, right, and make my name known. This church has not only stopped loving God, it's stopped talking about him as well, specifically talking about him to others. Now, whether this is uh, comfortable or not, and whether this is uh, something that the church at that stage found comfortable or not is irrelevant, the fact is that this is what God is telling the church, and we know from the letter this is what God is telling us. And not only that, not only is He's telling it to us, but He's emphasizing it by saying that if you don't repent, I'm going to close you down. Right? If you don't repent, I'm going to take away your lampstand. I am going to close down the church. This is serious to God, that we obey, not only in uh, believing the right teaching, not only in attending services and not only um, in doing all the things that we do within the context of our church community, but it's important to God that we are witnesses. Okay, we're drawing a line there. We're saying this is what the letter says to the church in Ephesus. How does this apply to us, right? And when we look at application, I'm going to look at two things. I'm going to think, how do we look at loving Jesus, firstly, and how do we apply making his name known? How do we apply loving Jesus? How do we apply making his name known? The essence of the letter to the Ephesians. How do we apply that in common ground Durbanville in our context?
when Jesus says, you do not love me, my mind starts to, starts to spin because I do not know where to even begin. How do I love a God so big and a God that I struggle to comprehend? Right? If Jesus were to tell us this morning, you do not love me, where would we even start? Right? It's a heavy thought. It's a, it's a clear, it's a clear um, accusation. Right? We, we can't get around it. And because it's so heavy, we try and analyze it away, right? We try and figure maybe God is trying to say something else. Or maybe, But if we take it for what it is, it's a big thought. And I've wrestled with it, and I've come to the conclusion that the way we love Jesus and the way we rekindle our love for Jesus is by looking to the cross. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, Consider how far you have fallen. You have forsaken not only your love, but your first love. I want to ask you this morning, consider the time when you came to Jesus. Consider the moment you encountered Jesus. What did that moment look like for you? I can guarantee you, each and every one of us has a unique story. And we've got a unique experience when it comes to our encounter with God. But one thing's for sure, we would have known we were sinners. We would have been very aware of that. We would have known how holy and how righteous God is. We would have been very aware of that. But also we would have been so aware of his love for us and the fact that he had forgiven our sins and the fact that we wanted more of his presence. That is undeniable. And the way we start to rekindle our love for Jesus is by getting back to the cross and remembering the sacrifice he has made for our sins. You know, we forget. We get to that place and we fall in love with Jesus and somewhere in life we forget about the price that he paid. We forget about how lost we were. We forget about how little we had, how little we had to offer. We forget about his great mercy the fact that we can stand in his presence and worship him and engage with the living God where under other circumstances, if it were not for the cross, we would have just been literally taken out by his presence. We forget that. And when we forget that and we lose sight of the cross, our love for God starts to wane. Let's read 1 John 4, verse 9 to 12. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And in 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us. The way we love God and the way we rekindle that love for God is not by trying to find it in ourselves. We can't. It's by going to the cross and by meditating and by abiding in the love he had for us and allowing that to awaken 
that very thing that was awakened when we first came to Jesus and allowing that flame to burn and grow and grow. Not only affect how we love God, but how we love each other. And that leads me to my next point. How do we make Jesus known? We look at John 13, verse 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You see, one of the fruits of loving God is loving one another. And loving one another is one of the ways we testify and we witness about God. You see, our loving God is related to our witness for Jesus. And not only that, we see in Acts chapter 19, as we read, that Paul actually engaged with people. He actually spoke about God. He spoke about what Jesus had done. He spoke truth about God's Word. So we see two ways in which we engage. We engage by loving one another in this church, and we engage by speaking about Jesus. Plain and simple. And to do that, there are two aspects I quickly want to touch on before we sort of start to head to a conclusion. And those two are when we make Jesus known, when we speak to other people about Jesus, and when we love the people in this church, it's going to firstly require sacrifice. It's going to require sacrifice to love one another, not just in our small friends groups, not just with the people that we would have uh, gotten along with anyway, but to love everyone in this church building. It's going to require sacrifice. But it's also going to require authenticity. Because we're very good at loving one another and sharing and being encouraging. and I mean, that I think we, for the most part, we're quite good at. But when it comes to authentic relationships where we're in a small group environment or in a one-to-one -one environment, can lovingly tell one another what you're busy doing is harmful. It's going to hurt you, right? Where we see love in the way that we help one another stay at the cross, right? Stay in front of Jesus. That's where it starts becoming a bit more real for us. But it's so necessary that we love one another, not just in deeds, but in words as well. And we love one another, not just when it makes each other feel good, but when it's difficult as well. You see, loving one another is not so that we can get love back. Loving one another is so that we can lead them closer to Jesus. The motivation for me loving another person shouldn't be that I want to have receive that love back. It should be out of a heart that is filled with God's love for me and for his people. Secondly, we look at sharing God's word, and that too requires sacrifice. If we go out and talk about Jesus, we must know that it's not necessarily going to be that we uh, uh, gain anything in terms of social status. We're not going to necessarily gain much with regards to our standing with certain friends or family, but it's a sacrifice that we're willing to make because we know the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, and we know the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could have fellowship with him. You see, out of that place of love, we have the courage to sacrifice ourselves in sharing Jesus with others. Secondly, it's going to require authenticity. A short while ago, I was replacing the... Um, the light bulb on my vehicle, didn't want to clip in properly. The light bulb on the other side was working fine, right? 
So it gave me an indication of where to look to see how to get this light bulb clipped in. It's very simple. But the same with us is we let our light shine, we sacrifice, we make Jesus' name great, we attract attention to ourselves, we get people to ask questions, but if we don't have the courage to be authentic about it, it really doesn't help. If I couldn't open up to see why that light was working, why that light was shining properly, it wouldn't have helped me fix the light on the other side. In the same way, if we love people and we reach out to people, but we don't have the courage to take the next step and share why it is we're doing that, we're not necessarily helping. Right? Authenticity and sacrifice, both in the context of the way we love one another and in the context of sharing the gospel with others. I want to close off and just start to, to wrap up. But there are a few things I want to highlight, and I've mentioned them in the sermon, but I just want to let, just, just double-click on that. The cross is not the starting point. Well, it is. It's not only the starting point of our walk with Jesus. It's the center point of our relationship. It's not only the starting. We don't go to the cross and walk away from it and forget about the cross and carry on to greater things. There's that child song that I used. I remember singing it. I don't know. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. Praise the Lord, no turning back. So much truth in that. The cross stays ever before us because it's at the cross that we're constantly reminded who we were without Jesus and his love for us. And it's at the cross that we're constantly reminded that because God was so merciful to us and so gracious to us, we ought to share that with others. Secondly, as we walk this road with a cross ever before us, and as we stand and abide and meditate on the cross, let us not have, or let us have rather, the courage to point others in that direction as well. As we stand and meditate on the magnificence and the wonder of the cross, right, and the fact that because of it, we can stand and just worship God and just enjoy His presence and enjoy everything that comes with that, let us also have the courage to point others in the right direction. I'm going to close for us in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of being able to uh, hear what you have to say to us this morning. Thank you for the privilege of knowing that you love us, Lord, that you died on the cross for us, Lord, as, uh, as a way to re be reconciled with us. Thank you for the relationship, Lord, that we have with you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would constantly abide and continuously remember the cross, Lord, and that we would continuously, Lord, remember what you've done for us. And as a result of that, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we'd have the courage, Lord, to share that with others, to love authentically, to love sacrificially, Lord, that we'd put others above us, Lord, and that we would make your name great. In Jesus' name, amen.